When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Bobby and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Another episode and I am a little bit sad to report this is our last episode of this season, but don't worry, we will be ending things and I think it will be a great episode and I will be back. You know I'll be back. I'll be back and I'm really excited about next season. It's going to be a lot of what you love, I would think, about this podcast, but taken up a notch, you know? So I'll get into that at the end of this episode, kind of what you know, could be, could be expected for season three and where you can find me in the meantime, while I am on a a brief hiatus, I will not be gone for very long, but yeah, but before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, we of course have to start with our last opening minutes of this season. I'm so sad, but I think it's a good opening minutes because it is, we're talking everything Comic-Con. Comic-Con was last week. It was the first one since... I think it was the first one since 2019. So that's a big deal. And so many things happened. There were, of course, a lot of superhero news, as it always is. Um, Marvel returned to Hall H, which if you don't know, kind of Comic-Con jargon. Hall H is like the biggest convention hall space. I think it can hold like 7,000 people or something like that. So it can house quite a lot of people and only the big boys go and do panels and announcements and whatnot in Hall H. And so that's usually reserved for like your DCs, your Marvels, et cetera, et cetera, right? So Marvel returned to Hall H to announce their their slate or half of their slate, I should say, for some of their upcoming films. Probably the standout for me personally was, of course, Black Panther Wakanda forever and we got the trailer for it which is absolutely phenomenal if you have not seen that trailer I highly 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 recommend that you check it out because it is so so good and and She-Hulk She-Hulk was my was my standout it is going to be a true comedy from what I understand about it and so this will be the MCU's Disney Plus show's first venture into it like a show that is a true comedy versus a show that's like more so action with comedic moments and everything like that which has kind of been what we've gotten up until this point I think the the closest that we've gotten to 
a like true comedy or something that diverts away from that action genre is Miss Marvel. So I think we're kind of heading in the direction of just it being like a, you know, a pure true comedy. And so I'm really, really excited about it. And yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk and see Bruce again and just have a good time something for the girlies to laugh about you know what I mean so I'm very excited about that but there were, there were so many things that we got news about we got news about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and there was a special a special for Comic-Con I think it, it was either the trailer or the clip a click a clip from the from the movie I can't remember but they screened that at Comic-Con Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania was also like the trailer for that was screened at comic-con all these things you can probably find i you didn't hear it from me but if you do want to see where these trailers are i think that they probably could maybe possibly be on somewhere similar to like a reddit and and they could possibly probably definitely maybe be on somewhere like a a youtube and a possibly maybe sort of very badly leaked bad quality video you can also maybe possibly find it on twitter but that is that's that is i i wouldn't i wouldn't do that if i i was if i was trying to find where these these trailers are so do with that information what do you will anyways but yeah that's that's as much as i have to say about about comic-con i think there are a lot of things that we already kind of knew about especially if you are interested in the mcu in any kind of way like a lot of the announcements that we got were things that we kind of already knew were coming anyways and so that kind of made me wonder like why why did Marvel like come to Comic-Con to announce stuff we already knew about? But I, I get it. It's the pomp and circumstance of it all. There are a lot of leaks of like, oh, we're going to get the announcement of like a Scarlet Witch solo movie and Young Avengers and a bunch of other stuff. And I think people forget that Marvel is still a Disney property and Disney has their own convention called D23 that happens every two years. And they would absolutely announce the rest of the projects at D23 which is in September so I think all the stuff that we didn't get at Comic-Con including we got the announcement like the official announcement that we are getting a Fantastic Four movie but we did not get anything in the way of like a director announcement or a casting announcement or anything like that we just got the announcement that the movie is happening which again we already knew this so yeah if you are you know crying throwing up that the one thing that you wanted to hear about from marvel at comic-con didn't get announced they will probably announce it at d23 that just makes the most sense (laughs) so like you not to worry like it will be announced at d23 like two months from from when comic-con was announced so yeah so I'm looking forward to that, to, to the rest of that lineup getting announced. Hopefully it will be a D23. Fingers crossed. Cross your fingers for me, girlies. But we'll see. What else? Also, in the kind of the hoopla of it all, this is just more of like a, I'm going to have a big sister moment with, with some of you, you younglings that may be listening. Or if you know a friend 
who is very big on like, you know, Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff, TikTok, send this clip to them and, and, and listen real good. So on TikTok, I was seeing some clips of people making open threats to Kevin Feige, who is the kind of, you know, like creative, you know, big boss at, at Marvel and like threatening him because he didn't announce the solo Scarlet Witch project, which like I said, will probably be announced at D23. My big sister moment in this is, Hey, if you're on the internet and you're making a, like a threat that is not veiled in any type of, even if it's a joke, don't do that. You know, digital footprint, digital footprint. The last thing you want is in in joking in jest to have like the authority show up to your house because you threatened to kidnap and kill the like a big executive at a company because he didn't announce a movie for a character that you like so just consider that consider that chew on that one noodle on that one digital footprint digital footprint yeah yeah anyways just like a quick little big sister moment because i saw that and i was like guys that you shouldn't do that at all don't do it don't do it don't do that so yeah don't do that but anyways moving on last thing on the the comic-con front is the they announced the two avengers movies that will be coming out six months apart from each other in 2025 2025 doesn't feel like a real year let's be real will earth be around at that time i don't know fingers crossed that it will because i would like to see these movies but they announced i think it's avengers kang dynasty and then avengers secret wars which has been murmured about for who knows how long so those are going to be kind of the equivalent of like the infinity war and endgame for this kind of these next couple of phases avengers secret war comes out the day after my 27th birthday and I am currently 23 years old so needless to say that that sent me into a little bit of a spiral but we we move forward we push on it was very wow (laughs) wowzers to to hear that but anyways moving on to some other stuff that came up yesterday actually while I saw on my my Twitter timeline yesterday and it was a it was kind of like an expose tell-all interview from a person who works in VFX at Marvel and they kind of explain just the working conditions that many people who work in VFX especially for these big companies have to go through and it is if you if you're kind of cognizant of how people who work in anything adjacent to animation which vfx is definitely adjacent to animation you you this story while it is shocking will not be surprising in that they are not treated well i've said a couple of times on here before that when you when a lot of people who find themselves or call themselves a a critic or you know or is an influencer content creator whatever it is if you are a person with a platform and giving your opinion on these you know on these on these projects that are are massive in scale i think it is very 
it's something that we should practice, which is being a lot more careful about the language that we use when it comes to talking about CGI and everything in these massive projects and not nitpicking stuff that simply just doesn't mean a ton of anything at the end of the day because the people behind it more than likely are highly overworked and grossly underpaid. And I think it's just very interesting that 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 article came out and a lot of people who had been very staunchly, oh, the CGI looks mid, it looks bad. And they like take a, a, a clip that is, they pause a clip that is two seconds, like a two second shot and they pause it and say, oh, look at the CGI, it looks bad here, are now being like, we should, you know, we should support VFX workers because they do so much. I think it's very, the the, the change in tune was very interesting to see. But, you know, broken clock is right twice a day. So I think, you know, it's good that this article came out. I hope that this will kind of incite some type of change or at least bring awareness to this issue that's happening within Hollywood and hopefully that will spark something to happen to have these people who really make these movies go because it's not like many Marvel movies are shot on location there are not a ton of Marvel movies that are using practical effects there are many that do but for the most part they are very CGI heavy and these are the people who make these movies work and I think that they don't deserve to be bullied not only by the people that they are working for but also the fans who they are making it for on both ends it's punching down no matter how you see it and I think unless you unless it's something that is just egregiously bad because I'm not I'm no I'm no stranger to just really bad CGI I grew up in the early 2000s so I know what really bad CGI looks like and I I think because I have that awareness of what bad CGI looks like CGI now blows my mind like I'm like there was a TikTok where someone was like CGI now I'm just in awe that they made the the hair look realistic which is so true if you go back and look at you know like any of the Barbie movies or Bratz like cartooned from the early 2000s like you that is that is not so great CGI that is where you will see that and I think you know with these with the scale of these movies the things that they are able to do that they they are able to make out of a blue screen and just actors is phenomenal and I'm nothing short of in awe every time I watch one of these movies no matter what it is so I think I hope that this article will kind of put the mirror to certain people to like hey when you're talking about these movies you know maybe don't just immediately go to oh the CGI was mid because it probably could have looked a little bit better had the person working on it not been working on 17,000 other projects and being paid two bucks an hour to do so you know what I mean so just something to chew on something to something to take into consideration and speaking of people who don't need to be giving their opinions on certain things that leads us to kind of the meat and potatoes of our of our episode <laughs> That was a bad transition, but this leads us into the meat and potatoes of this episode. As you can probably tell from the title, I finally left my house after three to four weeks, it feels, 
and I went to go see Jordan Peele's Nope. Now you guys know that I don't do horror, but I'm trying, I'm trying something different. I have a lot of thoughts on it and apparently a lot of other people have thoughts on it too. So without further ado, let's get into talking about Jordan Peele's summer classic, summer blockbuster, phenomenal work. Nope. So I have kind of broken this episode up into a couple of parts. So in, at the top of this segment, we are going to be going into like a, a non-spoiler review of, of the movie. So if you want to, if you still want to go see it and you don't mind it being kind of spoiled and talked about in, in excess in this episode, you'll still have some stuff to talk about. And, but if you still want to, you know, go see it. You can listen to this part and then knock off because we're going to be getting into a little bit more of like the, the spoilery bits and I don't want to spoil anything for you. I'll also be giving a, what I'm calling a scaredy cat review because I know that there are certain people who are interested in this film, but are like, ah, this looks a little bit scary. I don't know. And like, there are a lot of people who are like, I could barely handle get out. I don't know if I can do this one. So I definitely have thoughts from that perspective. Also, when I mentioned people giving opinions on something that they probably shouldn't be giving their opinions on, known, how do I, known, I don't want to get sued, known content creator, Logan Paul, it's just, it pains me that I'm giving this man any type of, of, of light of day, but this is a good lesson in media literacy, so I'm doing it for that purpose. But he tweeted a series of questions that could easily be debunked and could have easily been answered had you just watched the movie. So that is that segment will be for the people who have seen the movie because we're going to be debunking all of his questions and thoughts because they're bad. Anyways, anyways. And then finally, we're going to end things with my overall thoughts on the movie and and what I think, and then we'll we'll wrap things up. So if that sounds good to you, let's get started. So my non-spoiler review is that I think this this film is just a phenomenal like showcasing of what spectacle can look like in 2022. I think Jordan Peele was able to assemble what is a a kind of like small in scale cast and relatively like simple story, but blow it up to like a thousand, you know, like it is so the grandeur of of this movie is so apparent and so clear. And I think that is what helps with kind of driving home the overall like themes and, and touching on the commentary that he's trying to touch on. Performance wise, I think the the core cast is so, so good. It's if you don't know, the core cast is Kiki Palmer, Daniel Kaluuya, and Brandon Perea really for like they're kind of the core three and then the there are some other characters so Steven Yun is in it and Michael Wincott like they're kind of the only characters who get a considerable amount of lines like it's a very small it's a very small cast so I think they all just bring a phenomenal like energy to each of their roles and then all together are really great to me, obviously, Kiki was the the standout star. She gives a performance that is so, so good and so different from what I have seen from her. Um, 
in other things because I've I've grown up with Kiki. Like Kiki is, I tweeted this, but I'm like I'm proud of her. We're not related, but I am proud of her in the way that a younger sister is proud of her older sister. Like she's always felt like a sister to me, and so I've. I've watched so many of her shows and movies and like listen, listen to her music. So to see her doing a role like this that is so different from other things that I've seen her in is just nothing short of incredible. Daniel Kaluuya is giving a, I really, I want to say it's, it's a muted performance, but muted not in a bad way. Like he is really so in touch with who this character is. And we don't often tend to see characters like his on screen depicted in this way because I think a lot of people equate good acting with being very big but sometimes really good acting is being able to be very small and that is what Daniel does in this role and it is just so good Brandon Perea is (laughs) he was like my favorite character he plays a character named Angel and he I think was just so I liked every time that he was on, he was on screen. Like you can tell that he's kind of, he talked about his, this in a, I think it was like a entertainment weekly interview. I think it was entertainment weekly or Rotten Tomatoes, one of the two. And he talks about how this character was intended to be a lot different. And then he brought in, you know, kind of a different energy with it. And there's definitely like a found family aspect to the story that is not so apparent. It's kind of happening in the background. But once you see what's going on, it's really, it's kind of heartwarming in a weird way. And so he just knocks it out of the park with that role. Stephen Young is is just, oh my God, so good. I love him in a lot of things. Mainly, I love, <laughs> I discovered, I've never seen The Walking Dead, so I didn't really know him from that, but he would do a lot of, like, the of the remotes with Conan O'Brien, and I was a big Conan O'Brien fan, so that's how I discovered Stephen Yun, and I was like, I was like, this guy is so, he's so funny, like, he's just so, like, I don't know, like, I just really like looking at him and, and, and watching him. I also like looking at him because he's very attractive. Everyone in this cast is so attractive. It is insane, but his role in this movie is just so good, and especially when you kind of, again, you get into the nitty-gritty of, like, who this character is and the things that they've been through. You're just like, wow, like, that is, that's crazy. That's insane. So overall, I think in a non-spoiler way, I think you should absolutely go and see this movie. I will say pacing wise, if you are expecting for it to kind of jump immediately into the action, like it, it, like Jordan Peele's previous films, it's not quite that. It's a little bit more of a slower burn. If you've seen Jaws, it's like Jaws. It, it's very much, it's like Jaws in a lot of ways, but it's like Jaws in that Jaws is a lot of the strategizing, the executing of the plan to get the thing versus showing the thing. You know what I mean? And I made a TikTok video talking about the Jaws rule, which is, you know, basically where you do not show the monster or the big bad until like very late on into the into the to the film you kind of let the audience's imagination run wild with whatever that creature is going to be and this film definitely like executes that rule pretty like to a t i would say um so it's definitely like jaws in the way of its pacing it is a little bit more of a slower burn but it's slow but it's it's a slow crawl but you're intrigued you want to know like what's going to be next what what are the 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 core cast what are they going to do next how are they going to strategize what is this creature like you're trying to figure that out and so it is so many layers to that 
So it's really great. I think you should absolutely go and see it. And so that's going to lead us into our Scaredy Cat review. For my fellow Scaredy Cats out there, eh, it, there are some parts of this that are a little bit, they're not flat out scary. They're just a little bit more unsettling. There's there And there's a specific part that a lot of people have been talking about that I, I don't want to spoil for you, but there is a part where there is a scene that has violence in it but you don't see the violence it's more of like the most disturbing part of it to me was you hear it so the the sound design they kind of they slapped the the sound design really went off with with <laughs> with the particular scene so that was a that was definitely a little bit like ugh. it was a little bit a little bit scary in that part so you'll know when that scene is coming up you can definitely anticipate it so i would say if you are a little bit squeamish to sounds, I would plug my ears and close my eyes on that part. The scene that I'm talking about is not too long. It's probably about 30, 30 to 45 seconds, probably being gracious a minute. And then it, it, it ends pretty, pretty quickly. Other than that, there are not a ton of like, you know, big scares or anything like that like it's very it's it's tame other than those parts those that part that I'm talking about is kind of when it gets to be the most kind of horror movie ish but for the most part it's kind of it tends to operate on the more thriller level like thriller in that it is trying to you know you're trying to figure out what this this thing is it's more the 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 thrill of the hunt kind of thing with a few little scares along the way so nothing too egregiously violent or gory there's one part where there's like kind of blood raining onto the house so if that is something that it's like a no-go for you then maybe I would bypass this movie or like shut my eyes at that part but it's nothing too 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 bad I will say so for my fellow scaredy cats out there I think you can do it because I can't, I, when I tell you, I cannot handle a lot of excessive violence, really even like in regular movies, when someone gets like shot, I can't do it. I cannot do it. Cannot tolerate it. Won't do it. With this, I was able to, you definitely kind of feel a little bit of the anxiety of like, okay, what's coming next, but it's nothing that I think would be just like, I need to leave the theater over to me, but you know, to each his own on that. I think if you're really, really nervous about it, you might have to have the movie spoiled for you a little bit, just so you can anticipate where those moments are going to be coming for you so that you can leave the theater or plug your ears and shut your eyes, that whole thing. So, you know, do what you need to do to protect yourself and keep yourself safe. But for me, from a fellow scaredy cat to all my other scaredy cats out there, it is not too bad. I think you can handle it. Definitely not as violent and scary as Get Out or Us. It is more on the, it tends to lean more sci-fi thriller side of things. So that leads us into the very fun part of this episode, which is talking about Logan Paul's questions about Nope. And you know me, I I've, I've, I pride myself on being a, a decent person. I try to help. I try to educate on on things where, where I can. And, you know, I try to be a, a resource to people. And so that's, that's what we're, that's what we're here for. So this, this segment is really for Logan. Logan, I know you're listening because you, of course you are. And I, I heard that you had some questions about 
this movie. And I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out because I know media literacy is not taught in schools. It's not. It's not taught in schools. So a lot of the times we have to do a lot of teaching of ourselves. And sometimes we have some blotches. We have some blotches on that education. And so I'm here. I'm here to help you out. I'm here to fill in those gaps for you. And so maybe you will understand the movie better. And also, I just would like to exercise that a lot of these questions seem to come from you just not paying attention. And so we need to exercise the importance of paying attention to movies, right? Right. So we're going to start off with the the the, the thread on, on Twitter opens up with Mr. Paul saying, Nope is one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. I love Jordan Peele and Kiki Palmer can act her ass off. But this movie is objectively slow and confusing with stretching themes that don't justify the space, the pace, a thread. Okay. So again, like I said, this is going to be getting into spoilers. So if you don't want anything spoiled for you, I will see you guys in season three, or you can skip to the very end of this episode, but this will be kind of the, the meat and potatoes of the spoilery bits. All right. So his first tweet reads, it's not hard to conceptualize something disturbing. A trained chimp goes animalistic and mauls an entire set or a UFO devours everything in its path. It is sensible. It is hard to sensibly tie it to the plot, which was done remarkably poor here. A series of questions. Spoiler alert. Okay. Question number one. No one was curious how a quarter shot through a man's face and killed him or why a key was lodged in the backside of a horse he was riding. So Mr. Paul, this is a, a great example of when we go to the theater and they do the, you know, silence your cell phones, be sure to be quiet, you know, kind of uh, encouraging paying attention to the movie that you have paid to see and in this economy movie tickets are quite expensive so you you paid a pretty penny to see this film unless you have amc a-list like i do and it was free and so this question is, is is pretty easily answered with the fact that after the scene that you're talking about which if you if you don't know what he's referencing it's the scene where oj and emerald's dad dies due to the stuff that's falling from the sky and uh, it it like a quarter like shoots through this their dad's eye and and kills him and their dad is played by Keith David and um they say once once that scene is kind of starting to wrap up and OJ like is is going back to the house and he's talking to he's talking to someone I can't remember who exactly he's talking to but he says you know the coroner or whoever did the autopsy said that it was a freak accident of debris from a, a plane that flew over That's what they said. That's what they said in the movie. That is not even like subcontext. That's just, that's just what they said. And that's in the script. That's the dialogue in the script. So they do say it. They say it in the film that the, the, no one was curious. No, they just said it was a freak accident of debris falling from planes. And they just didn't think anything of it. It's not like, like when freak accidents like that happen in the real world, they don't always tend to make national news. I'm not sure what your expectation was here within the context of the film. But question number one, debunked. They say it in the film. Question number two, why slash how did the shoe stand upright on the set of Gordy's home? This one I'm sure has a reason, but I haven't found anything that makes sense. This one is a, this, I will give this to you, Mr. Paul. This one is actually a legitimately, you know, 
a good question to ponder because it is in the scene that he's referencing is when Gordy, the the chimp, is kind of on his like mauling rampage, and there's a, a scene, there's a point in the scene where Jupe, who is you know Stephen Yun's character, he was a he's a child actor on the set and he was there for the mauling and he sees this shoe that is standing perfectly upright um and so that is that was kind of a weird kind of occurrence or anomaly I've seen a lot of theories talking about how the shoe standing upright was kind of just like this thing that was able to it was almost like a a mythical you know like occurrence that allowed for Jupe to focus in on so he wasn't looking at Gordy mauling this poor woman in that scene. And so it kind of leads him to have to develop this kind of God complex. Like he thinks it's kind of like a divine intervention thing of like, he was spared by this beast. He, he saw this kind of supernatural thing happen. So he has this, he feels like he has this like ability to, I don't know, tame, I guess nature or something like that so there have been a lot of theories as to why that is I can see the confusion on it it wasn't very clear to me when I went to go see the movie so for that I will give him that it that is that is something to be legitimately kind of you know concerned by but I think also in horror movies freak accidents happen all the time I think in a movie about a flying saucer that eats people you know a shoe standing upright is not too wild of an occurrence but i we soldier on number three the deep voice cinematographer was cryptic for no reason other than to be cryptic you're telling me this guy was willing to die because he wanted better lighting to capture the et for real again they do say this in the film so the scene again that he's referencing is Michael Wincott's character. He plays the cinematographer who comes out and has a film camera and they are kind of trying to catch what they call like the Oprah shot. And so he's like cranking, like hand cranking this camera to try and get the shot. And at one point he says to Angel, who is right next to him, he says, no one deserves the, the impossible shot. Like we don't deserve the impossible shot. And then he moves out of the little like tent that they're in and he like moves into better lighting to capture the the creature that they're trying to get on camera and he in in that gets gets sucked up in into the creature and there have been a lot of theories I didn't pick this up until I was talking with a friend about it after I'd seen the movie but there are a lot of instances or like kind of indicators that this character is probably sick or dying in some way because he's seen like taking a lot of like pills and everything so a lot of people kind of are postulating that he did that because he knew he was dying anyways and so he was like I might as well die trying to get the impossible shot but no one deserves the impossible shot and it kind of leads it leans into the whole thing of like you know the links we will go to capture something the links that we will go to capture spectacle and how spectacle the more that you you look into it, the deeper that you go and the more it will consume you until eventually you cannot get out of it. And that was almost a kind of very clear and physical manifestation of what that what the theme in the movie is. Like he literally died trying to capture this the spectacle, this bad miracle, you know. So I hope that that clears that up 
for you, Logue. I know that this is this is this is hard. This is hard to hear when things are right in front of you, and we have to exercise a little bit of you know critical thinking. But we're getting through. And number four, same note, man on the motorcycle. Why was his voice deep and robotic, framed to be an antagonist who'd have a grand reveal? Mystery solely for the sake of mystery is confusing and leaves too many open ends for a viewer trying to invest themselves in a storyline. So again, this is within the same scene as the previous question. At one point, a, mo- a person on a motorcycle and the, the helmet of the motorcycle is like all, you know, mirrors all around. Like it's a, like a mirrored motorcycle helmet and apparently they find out that that motorcyclist is from tmz and they're trying to you know get the scoop on what this this being is and like the weird occurrences that are happening on this ranch and all these other things and i think this question is the most interesting because this character that he's talking about is probably his closest proxy in this film is is Logan Paul's Logan is, is like closest proxy in this this film. This character was willing to he OJ tries to help him when he gets severely injured, legs broken, arms broken, and this character was only concerned with getting the shot, recording the thing that is happening to them, recording the creature and looking into it. And if you don't if you don't remember the whole thing is that when you look into when you look at the creature, that is when it will consume you. When you don't give it attention, it doesn't bother you. And this character was willing to die just trying to get a shot. He's asking OJ, like, OJ is like, I'm trying to help you. Like, get up. Come on, let's go. And he's like, where's my camera? Like, why aren't you recording this? Where's my camera? And then he gets sucked up. And OJ's like, I'm sorry, man, I can't help you. And then he goes away. And so I think it was it was very interesting that, that Logan Paul took took I don't know took took issue with that character which I like I said was his closest proxy and if you know anything about him you would know why willing to do anything to get a shot of something that is probably objectively bad that shouldn't be captured perhaps yeah but I think that character was just meant to be a a representation of kind of the very all-consuming you know side of media like the this the scoop the the inkling within us to want to capture the thing you know that is the the first instinct when something bad happens is to pull your phone out and record it you know versus getting away or trying to help someone you know like it is that is what that character was solely kind of meant to represent I don't think there there was ever any intention to be a grand reveal I think his voice was deep and robotic I mean that's subjective I think his voice was fine like he was in a helmet so obviously that's going to distort his voice a little bit but I don't think there was ever any intention to reveal who that character was it was kind of meant to be a faceless proxy for this instinct within us to capture a bad miracle versus getting away from it or helping someone you know again context clues critical thinking number five there are 10 questions we're 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 chugging along Number five, my next point, the storyline is all over the place. In a crowd of 40 people, the actress who was mauled on the set of Gordy's home was there. Why? Shock factor because of her scarring? Does she come to all of them? Does she come before the ET feeding? 
he's again he's talking about the scene at Jupiter's Claim, which is Stephen Yun's character's like little theme park. They are having the their Star Lasso experience. That's the name of the show, the new show, which eventually serves as kind of like a a feeding point for for the alien. And so he's talking about the actress who was mauled on the set. Was she there? You know, like, why was she there? Again, Jupiter, Jupi says, and I've invited my special guest, my first crush, my co-star from the show. He was on the show, Gordy's home. He invited his co-star to this thing. I'm sure that they are close, I guess. And he just invited her to this show. I don't think there's a deeper reading there. I think it's, it's, I don't think there's anything like he just, he invited her to think like, which is, this is strange that it's coming from him because like, don't, haven't you had co-stars and have you invited them to, to things? I don't know. Like, I think that's just as much as it was. And like that, from what I understood, that was the first show. So I don't think there's. She doesn't come to all of them. I think that was just like, it was the first show he wants to, he's a former child star and he knows that people are coming to this theme park off of the nostalgia of this show that he was on, Kid Sheriff. And this is a a theme park themed around his character from this TV show that he was on. And so, you know, what better way to incite more you know, buzz around this new show that you have for your theme park than to invite your co-star. And probably, yeah, they people would want to see this person who they know was mauled on this set and like see them. It's again, the spectacle of her, you know, like that is that is the reason why. So it's again, not too. It's weird because some of these questions he's thinking too much on and then some of these questions he's thinking far too little on. So that's that's kind of all it is for that. Number six, Jupe has trauma with the phenomena of commercializing predators for profit. And for the last six months, he's been feeding horses to an ET in the sky. But what about before that? What is the purpose of that creepy cowboy theme park? Before that, I think he just owned this theme park. I don't think that there was anything too, too crazy about it. Like I said, his he based the theme park off of a character that he played in the TV show. It's just probably a business that he has. I think him framing it as like the creepy cowboy theme park. I think he's, it's almost like he's ignoring that like roadside attractions exist. Like there are plenty of little theme parks or little weird, like roadside attractions that you see like on a a road trip somewhere and you just stop in and like, they're like heavily themed. This is the problem. The death of themed entertainment really is is causing some concern for people. They're not understanding what's going on here. But yeah, I don't think there's any like other subtext with what's going on there. I think Jupiter just owned, he just had this business. Like he's a former child star. He knows that he can probably easily get people to come out to this theme park themed after a show that a lot of them probably watched when they were kids and that is it it was just a business I don't think there's any deeper reading into that but I digress I I guess he was thinking there was going to be a deeper meaning but it's just a business that he had and then he noticed that this alien who again based off of his trauma of the Gordy situation he thinks he, he is able to he develops his god complex and thinks that he is above nature 
And so he thinks he can tame this alien. So he just saw it as a business opportunity. It wasn't anything more than that. And also, I don't think he's a stranger to commercializing, like he said, commercializing a traumatic experience. He has that weird little room in his office that is like a shrine to the show that ended because a chimp mauled and killed people. He's not above commercializing a traumatic experience. Again, not at all that shocking to me, but I digress. Seven. Why was so much emphasis placed on the name of the horses? They had title cards. Why? I think this is just a stylistic thing. Sometimes movies have have title cards. And I think it just drives home the whole point of like, you can't, you know, tame an animal that doesn't want to be tamed. I think it was just a way to kind of like break up the movie and, and pace it. Again, it's a stylistic thing. I didn't necessarily like love it, but it didn't distract me all that much. Like it was just like, a way to break up the different parts and like in with each title card they go into a different horse or like a different creature or whatever like you can know that that next segment of the movie is going to be about or around that particular like animal or creature it's stylistic it if you can just say you just didn't like the title cards versus like why did why are they there like it's a stylistic choice number eight why was barbie oh my gosh ferrera I think I messed up her last name. I'm so sorry, girl. But she's in Euphoria. And incredible acting talent so underutilized in this movie. Why was she even in the movie? Take it up with her. I don't know. Like, there are many actors. And again, he he himself is a, some would say, struggling actor. So he would know that sometimes your agent or manager just says, hey, there's a role in this Jordan Peele movie. You interested? And then you're just like, yes, a Jordan Peele movie. I will take any role in that and that's probably what happened she read for the part she got it it was a small part and that's just it actors just show up in things all the time it's just called it's called working it's called working logan and i think i was talking to a friend about this i think when you are in a content creator turned actor you you can some of them definitely give the vibe that any acting thing i that i do i need to be the lead or i need to be the the front and center of it all and that's definitely been logan's case and his prior films that have been some would say less than stellar where he's been like a lead role because when you're making content you are you are the the lead you are the the front and center so i think the idea of taking a role that is not very big simply just wanting to be adjacent to a really good project is is lost on 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 Mr. Paul, it seems. But yeah, actors just show up in things all the time. Look at Manny Jacinto. Manny Jacinto, I saw him in Bad Times at the El Royale. He's just in that movie. No lines. No lines. He is just in it. Also, Top Gun Maverick. He is also just in that movie too. No lines, once again. He's just in the back. But sometimes you just like... Just because you want to work, like it's a paycheck, you get paid to be on set, and like she got a couple lines, she probably got a check, and she's also she can say that she was in this movie. No matter the role, big or small, it, it, I don't. That's not a knock against. It's not a knock against the movie. Like, like, ask her. I don't know. Anyways, number nine, we're almost there. This is not a question. This is just a personal opinion of his. Way to strip all the life from phenomenal actor Daniel Kaluuya from Cat 
by casting him as possibly the most mundane vanilla character I've ever seen. Not a question. I'm just pissed. Again, this goes back to what I was saying at the top of the episode, which is I think a lot of people equate good acting to being very big. And sometimes good acting is in the subtleties and being very small. And that is what OJ's character is. OJ's character he can seem very muted because he he just is not number one. I think he's just much more of an introvert than his sister Emerald, who is much more of an extrovert. And also he literally did see his dad die right in front of him and had the trauma of transporting him to the hospital. So I don't think he's necessarily like going to be the most boisterous about that whole ordeal. And I think there was just, it was the subtleties of his character. I think like OJ was a very like quiet and calculating type and that is you need that type of balance within movies I I don't know like I just I don't it would be weird if he was like you know big and loud and everything and they touch on the kind of little core of of OJ's character in the beginning on when they're on set and Emerald hasn't showed up yet and they're doing like the safety talk thing and he's going into the whole like Hayward horses spiel and you can tell that he's like you know he kind of is a bit demure he's like not really you know wanting to be in front of the spotlight he's not really maintaining eye contact with a lot of people like he just is very he's very quiet and it's not until like Emerald shows up and she she does a whole like you know pomp and circumstance of of the spiel and everything so yeah I think he just played a, a more introverted character OJ definitely like had really like impactful scenes and that was just the long and short of it I don't think there was any big big to do about it and then finally we're at the end number 10 an extraterrestrial creature that is advanced enough to fully shapeshift activate an anti-electromagnetic field and propel itself in any direction quickly and quietly can't tell the difference between a plastic inflatable and a viable meal nope okay so again, I think that it is much easier easier to understand this notion when you see that the creature who they end up calling Jean Jacket, the creature is no different from from a you know from the horses, from Gordy, from humans. It had an intention in mind. I think when you're trying to assign too much or too many complexities to this character. It ends up muddying the waters. All of those processes that he just described are very logical processes. But I don't think that it's going to, that Jean Jacket was going to have the like distinction of being able to delineate between human eyes and, and fake eyes. Like that was a whole thing. The whole thing with Jean Jacket was like seeing, if, if you saw a being that was looking at it, that's when it would absorb it. And like any any creature in a prayer predator dynamic, it can be tricked. That that is not it's not lost on me to 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 understand that notion. So it just got tricked. That's all it was. It's not like they were saying that this being was the most intelligent being. It's probably more intelligent than us, but like it it's not like it was doing a crazy amount of, you know, like like they didn't have this crazy amount of intelligence like it still was susceptible to being tricked and, and that's just what happened it just got tricked it saw the balloon the balloon had eyes because it looked like a person and so it absorbed it and 
it got tricked. That is just as simple as what it was. Just like any other predator. So, Mr. Paul, I hope that helped you. I hope you walk away with a greater understanding of this film. Once again, like I said, those warnings at the beginning of movies where you're supposed to silence your phones and like pay attention and not talk. They're not suggestions. They're something that you should do. And I think going forward, it really will help quell some of those questions that you may have going forward because a lot of those questions were answered if you just listened to the movie. But it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes those things, they get lost in the sauce. I get it. I get it. My overall thoughts on Nope, like I said at the beginning in my like non-spoiler bit, I think it's a phenomenal film. It's definitely a slower burn. So if that's something that you're not really interested in, you know, then you might want to sit this one out. It might not be for you, but I think it's worth seeing. I definitely think it is a, another great addition into Jordan Peele's filmography. It, it, I've seen a lot of people already trying to do the whole like, is Jordan Peele the greatest horror movie, movie director ever? Has there been a horror movie director that's released three films, especially in a row, that are all phenomenal? It's just, it's too much. It's too much. Just give Jordan Peele his flowers and and commend the movie and commend what you love about it versus him being like, He's immediately the greatest film director of all time because accolades and superlatives like that are really only earned with time. So you can get a full, like a more holistic view of the, of the thing that you're trying to give the superlative or accolade to. And that was a, that statement that I just said was from a tweet where someone was like saying that exact same thing. And Jordan Peele literally was just like, yeah, no no I'm not I'm not the greatest horror director of all time and he's like that will be a slight to John Carpenter Carpenter and I agree like when you get when you give someone that that the the accolade of that title it almost becomes a burden and almost can kind of be like not the best thing to do because they had people who inspired them there there is an influence there you know like you know I'm sure that Peel was he's inspired by John Car Carpenter he said that a lot of times this film definitely like I said is is almost like a, a spiritual successor to Jaws it's very similar in that way so he was probably inspired by Spielberg and Spielberg was inspired by Hitchcock so no one exists in a vacuum all by themselves people get influences from all all aspects of of their work and you when you just try to put them on a pedestal as quickly as you put them up on that pedestal is as quickly as you will take them down. So the minute that they do something that you do not like, then you want to be like, Oh, they fell off. You know, they're, they're terrible. Why would they do that? Versus allowing a slow and steady growth, a, a slow and steady ascension, you know, wishing for longevity onto that person's career. I don't know if I was a director, I wouldn't want by my third movie to be considered the greatest director of all time. Because where do you go from that? Where do you go? Where do you go from things with being the greatest director of all time? You, you can't build from that. So like as quickly as you hit the top of the mountain is as quickly as you will go back to the bottom. So I don't know, that was a, a side tangent, because I remember saying that and I was like, too much. But overall, I give it the movie four and a half stars out of five. I think it's really great. And I definitely want to go see it again in case there was something that I missed. It's one of those movies that after I finished watching it, because I was talking with my mom about it and she was asking me a lot of questions and I was just like, I was 
I was getting frustrated with myself because I was like, I know how I feel about this movie, but I don't know how to put it into words. Like, I don't know what I just saw. The movie kind of leaves you gobsmacked immediately after seeing it. And then you, the more that you noodle on it and chew on it, you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I see what, I see what's going on. And then you like, you're like, oh, I want to go see the movie again in case I like, I missed something, you know? So that's that's those are my thoughts on nope i'm saying yes to nope i'm sure someone has said that in a review and if they haven't that is a lost opportunity just saying we've got a few episodes under our belt here at the hi i'm bobby podcast and guys i gotta tell you that it wasn't simpler to start a podcast than with anchor if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast so let me explain it's free There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone or your computer. Anchor will literally distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If this sounds amazing to you, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm so excited and I hope you guys will make a podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of you guys. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby. You can also find me on YouTube. I have one video up and I'm working on my second one as we speak. Like I said, this episode will be our last episode of season two. I hope you've enjoyed season two. I know I have. Season two is definitely different from season one and season two will be definitely different from season three so I'm just I'm just excited you know for what's what's to come down the pipeline I mentioned in another episode that I'm gonna be gonna be working with some cool people for season three and I hope that you guys will love what we will come up with and kind of the new a couple of new directions that we're going to be heading in with the podcast I can't go into a ton of detail right now but you'll you'll know it when you see it and if you're wondering Bobby when will you be back I probably will be gone for just a little bit of August and then I will probably be back in September so I won't be gone for very long just a couple weeks and then we'll be back on the horse talking about all things pop culture and all the questions that no one was even asking in the first place but yeah and you can also expect some guests. We're going to start bringing some guests into the fold because I'm friends with what I think are some pretty, pretty neato people. And uh, yeah, I don't know. So we're going to be going to be talking to some of my friends and and getting their perspective on pop culture things and just having a good time. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And so if you want to keep up with me, like I said, you can keep up with me over on my social medias. And if you want to tell me someone that you want to be on the show next season, I will certainly listen and I will certainly see if we can make it happen if they're not too far out of reach. (laughs) But but yeah, thank you so much for listening to to season two of the Hi, I'm Bobby podcast. I really appreciate anyone who has said that they that they enjoy the podcast, that they like what I do. It means the world to me. You guys mean the world to me. And it just is 
you know, it's such an honor and I feel so grateful that you have invited me into into your week for 30 minutes to, in this case, an hour every week. It means the absolute world to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This episode was powered by John Williams, by John Williams and his scores, his beautiful scores. I listened to the Jaws score, I listened to the E.T. score, and I listened to the Jurassic Park score as I was doing this episode. I don't know, John Williams, just, he gets me in a whimsical mood. Just very whimsy, full of whimsy, full of wonder. That's me with John Williams. But yeah, so I hate to say goodbye, but this is not a goodbye. This is just to see you real soon. I do hope that you enjoyed this week's chat and that you'll join me again in September for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judai and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking portrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade. And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.